0: Hey everyone, Eric here. I'm excited to announce our newest show on investing at Turpentine, Sorcery by Molly O'Shea. Sorcery brings the conversations investors and founders have behind closed doors to light. Past episodes have featured Alex Kolitsich of AVC, Xander Oltman of Commodity Capital, and David Weisberg of 10X Capital, whom you might know from another Turpentine show. This is the show for investors by investors. We dive deep into topics like the significance of LPGP dynamics, Portfolio construction, if SaaS is really dead, AI theses and predictions, and more. Check it out by searching Sorcery on any podcast platform today. Hey everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now.
1: Man bad. So for for those who get triggered by Elon progress, like I think they're just going to keep making progress, and everyone's going to laugh and be like, "Elon thinks he's making robots," and then it's going to be like, "Oh shit!" Like there'll be a right. lot of chaos in the meantime. San Francisco has driverless taxis. Like, how is that not a bigger celebration? Oh, it's right because it's San Francisco and, and San Francisco doesn't want to celebrate it because that's technology.
0: The the mini lamp or whatever, <laughs> or was it San Francisco? Was- L A.
2: the shade the shade thing that cost ten thousand dollars. <laughs> What? It's a smaller roof. It's like a smaller, vertical, shittier roof is what you invented. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then, and then the best part is
1: they had to go to Ecuador and, and the UK on taxpayer money to, 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 research. to research on shade technology. Shade tech, the latest in shade technology. No one thinks Jeff Bezos is childish, but Jeff Bezos has a mermaid version of Lauren Sanchez on the front of his yacht. Which, but, but because I, he owns the Washington
2: Post and oh, he, I'm sorry I will defend it all day. I think it was awesome. I, I think go off king. Like he like please, who doesn't want who doesn't want their like their pod lover, lover the yeah as a statue on the top of their or like in the what is it called the mast or whatever. What is All that right, part all of right. I I'll give you I actually but thought their, it was but their I, mega yacht. It's the like the biggest sailing yacht in the world like that is some king shit. I'm completely exactly. completely well, it's not called that value. few
1: money for
0: if you're not going to say have you, right? Perfect. So I, I thought we'd start with so Pirate Wires has had so many bangers recently. Uh the Grimes interview was fantastic. You had incredible coverage of the uh of the OpenAI Sam Altman you know trial this, this past week. W- one of your tweets was, I wish Congress would ask me to testify because I have a lot to say. So maybe we can we can get into <laughs> uh, yeah, w- what would you say?
2: Uh, one like thing I've been just trying to do recently with my team
0: uh, at Pirate Wires is
2: cover different congressional... Like there, there are all these co- congressional hearings that are just not covered. And they're really interesting. And you learn a lot about the politicians and also the way that different entrepreneurs are thinking about stuff. And so it was like Christina from IBM, it was Sam Altman and it was Gary Marcus. Um, Christina and Sam, at least work at a company doing stuff that's important ostensibly. Christina, like I feel like not, not so much obviously as Sam. And then Gary is just this guy... He's just like this asshole with opinions online. And I'm like, I'm an asshole with opinions online. And I I don't agree with any of his opinion. They should bring me on. I can talk about all sorts of shit. I want to talk about how Gary said that a chatbot was responsible for a guy in Europe killing himself. That's crazy and like should be introduced. But also the truth is like for that hearing, the AI hearing with Sam and Gary and Christina, like the weirdest thing about it for me was, I mean, maybe like a sub theme of, Pirate Wires for a long time has been how silly our politicians are in these hearings. They weren't that silly in this hearing. They were the Democrats and Republicans, totally bipartisan here, were asking, I thought, pretty thoughtful questions. And both sides of them, both the Democrats and the Republicans, I would say one of the major themes was uh, of the questioning was just, hey, It seems like you want us to regulate something that we don't really understand, which is not smart and will hurt the technology. And they all kind of agreed on that. It was this weird kind of self-awareness. Now, there was some stuff from both sides that, especially the Republican side, that was a little more, I'd have to go back and rewatch it. My sense was that the anti-230 stuff and the free speech stuff was maybe coming off a little more, it was like a little more pronounced on on the right. Uh, whereas the Democrats were a little more focused on copyright and um, and job loss, but no one's heart really seemed that in it. Everyone was really friendly. Cory Booker was weirdly like a tech optimist, and he went on and on and made fun of Gary Marcus, or not really made fun of him, but he he, he called him out a couple times. Again, bipartisan support on doing this, where they would they would be like Gary, you know, you're asking for an international agreement or whatever. Do you have any insight into how that works? Like what are you what what specific models are you looking at? What other versions of this are you talking about? How would you like that to go down? And and just kind of pushing him on those issues. And he was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. Ha ha ha. And he kept trying to make jokes. And they all were just like, no, the joke is you. Why are you here? That's the joke. Who invited Gary Marcus?
1: I, I think that the one push I would say though is that I don't think Congress is used to having breakthrough new technology come and ask to be regulated. So I think it's a little bit of like, wait, we're usually the ones chasing the car. And it's like, we, we, the car didn't, we didn't even catch the car. The car drove into our yard and then like parked itself right there that we could just easily go out and and grab it. So I don't think that they have a good model for that. Um, And and I know there's a lot of, you know, oh, this is Sam trying to do a chess move on the regulatory capture side of things.
2: They don't have a model for it because it doesn't make sense. I think that they were right. They were just like, hey, we will regulate it when something happens that is really scary. <laughs> like, I, we don't see that right now. And you're gonna have to do a better job. Certainly what they did not do was go in there and make no one, and Christina was the least sort of asked, like she was not really asking for anything.
1: Well, They, they don't have much AI, because Watson was a joke.
2: <laughs> right, so I mean, that's again, like, why was IBM there? It didn't really make sense. Why wasn't Google there? It seems like Google should have been there and maybe Sam should have been there. Uh, Maybe someone else from Microsoft should have been there, but that's not what we got. Um, There are going to be more. They they announced there are going to be several more panels just on AI in in particular. And I guess I've always had this kind of cartoonish version of Congress in my head. And they're super anti-tech, I thought. And they just want to hamstring the whole thing completely. And they're reacting to this higher level thing. And the truth is, they're not that thoughtful about it. They really are just reacting to things that scare them for various reasons, Or that their constituents get angry about that's bad and has a whole there are a whole bunch of problems with that, but it's better than this philosophical aversion to technology in general, which doesn't seem to exist. And and I do yeah I mean the whole AI people requesting regulation thing, I think that if you're going to do that, you need to come with a way better argument. And I didn't see that at the hearing.
1: So one, I I always take it through the lens of it's all theater, right? Like all they care about is getting their face and their sound clip on. Twitter on, you know, CNN, because that's, it builds the brand, especially for the senators. But I, I, I've i been running this through the kind of parallel universe that I've lived in for 10 years of crypto, right? And I think if I was to give the reason why AI, one, I think they, there is a singular kind of like face and leader for the most part in Sam. So and I think he's extremely good. Like I, I was really impressed with, you know, first time I think testifying before Congress or in a big stage like that. And just absolutely nailed it, right? Compared it to some of the other CEOs who kind of always look a little squirmy. Um, gave really clear answers, simple answers, which I think are useful. But the the thing that they AI has going for it compared to crypto is crypto has never had a breakout consumer use case that is easy enough for someone to understand. And and payments is not a consumer use case. It's like a it's like a lower level thing. And so the only thing crypto's ever had is this kind of price of Bitcoin narrative and i think what's challenging is without like a like actual concrete use case in in the sense of chat gpt is really easy to kind of like oh i type this in it's kind of like google and i get a better answer like there is nothing that the industry is trying to capture and then getting regulation right so like crypto in the us starts getting regulated in 2014 but it's through regulatory agencies not really in front of congress and it's only after FTX, to your point, when there's something bad that happens that like, okay, Congress knows the playbook here. And it's like, let's do hearings, let's let's boot up the theater, Gary Gensler, all, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that there, it's extremely savvy to preempt the whole situation, right? Like you, you have the breakout product, regardless of whether it's regulatory capture or not, you are playing on your terms, right? Like you go show up, you do a great job in front of Congress you're you're the one saying hey we would love your input in terms of like making this safe like flatter the people who get to make the rules that that I think is just such a savvy move compared to you know this kind of very decentralized thing with crypto where no one ever made that engagement and they're only making the serious engagement in Congress now after FTX
2: I would push back a little bit on a couple points one in crypto, and I understand what you're saying. There's no face of crypto. However, Brian Armstrong has done a lot asking for regulation and has gone off about that. And it's like, they don't want that because they don't want crypto to exist. And it wasn't FTX. It, FTX was the excuse they had to go after crypto. They, they wanted crypto gone for years. And then in terms of like the sort of savviness of Sam, I think he did a fine job. I think he did a great job. I think he did a fine job, an admiral first attempt. Zuckerberg has been asking for regulation for years. He like innovated the entire genre of tech people asking for regulation. And I found it really crazy back then, but what was happening with speech, he was trying not to do it at first. He was like, I don't, he was actually, this like whole lost history of tech people really trying their best, which my heart is kind of in a more open place right now. But Zuckerberg and Dorsey, uh, even the Reddit guys, uh, I think Alexis to a certain extent, especially Zuckerberg and Dorsey, I think really tried their best and especially Zuckerberg tried his best in to, to sort of maintain free speech, heading into the elections and stuff. By asking for regulation, people are like, you got to control the speech or whatever. By asking the government for regulation, he he sort of implicitly asked the question of like, what is allowed in terms of speech moderation, they couldn't regulate because it was unconstitutional. And so why are you asking Mark Zuckerberg to do something that the government can't even do? That's like an interesting question that was implicitly asked when he was asking for regulation, whereas Sam, it's like, for for me, I think Mark asking it was tactically very smart and I understood it. it, didn't work. And now Sam is doing it in a way that I'm like, I don't fully understand why we're poking a hornet's nest when There is no runaway use case just yet. Like people are talking about it. It's not even in a really angry way. A lot of people are interested. The New York Times wrote a dumb piece about it. We're not, I don't know, we're not quite there yet. It seems like there are other things. I don't know, asking for regulation, was that maybe the only way that he could have gotten the the congressional hearing?
1: My sense is so I I disagree that it should be regulated at Congress at this point. I I agree with the frame that like technology is too new. Maybe you put some like very broad safe harbor provisions so that people can't get like sued. But outside of, you know, and
2: I don't even have a detailed proposal there. Like that's the other problem. I mean, neither does he have a detailed proposal. It seems like he was saying AGI should be regulated, but maybe less the other stuff. And it's like, that that wasn't even defined.
1: I think the relative framework is if you have X amount of GPU capacity, you need to submit to X, Y, and Z, and then everything. So you're globally systemic banks, so it's like globally systemic, uh, you know, GPU clusters, um, the ones that Yud wants to shoot the missile set. Um, but I think the... uh, let's play this out. So Zuck, no one really cares about social media. And then 2016 gets blamed for Trump, right? Like Cambridge Analytica, all all that, all that stuff. Right. So he gets swept up in that. And so you caused Trump. Now we're going to come in and regulate you. Right. Very, very straightforward, uh, counterfactual situation here that ChatGPT has kind of launched and we get into the election and some deep fake or, a proliferation of chat GPT generated misinformation happens on the internet. Uh, Trump beats, you know, the, the candidate, and then people are looking for a scapegoat. It's open AI's, you know, easily accessible AI technology is the reason Trump is there. Q Q the same narrative, you know, whatever. And so what I think is smart from Sam's standpoint, regardless of whether you agree with it. And I just like analyzing the game here is he initiated it. So he went in and said, Hey, look, you know, I I think that we would love your input, like we should be thinking through this stuff. They kind of don't have an answer. But but now he can't be accused of not having engaged in good faith. He did it on a very public stage, right? Because he could be doing all the same things quietly behind the scenes going to visit Congress. But by getting on a hearing, those clips are going to last forever, right? And so I, I think it's just very, very savvy. and and one point on Brian who you know I worked pretty closely with, I don't think he spent more than a total of a week in DC in the first eight years of the company or something. like he you know he went on a couple of trips, not really necessarily his vibe. whereas now I think he's spending a significant amount of time. in addition to if, if you talk to a lot of the big crypto investors, they are spending a lot of time uh, on regulation too. So so it's it, it has become an existential thing and that was actually happening before FTX. And I think FTX has only catalyzed it. Because you have Elizabeth Warren, you know, advertising her reelection campaign as like raising an anti crypto army. No one is doing that in AI yet. And, and, and like, uh, Elizabeth Warren is a really good bellwether of like, you know, she was to flip on like AI is going to take away, you know, blue collar, good jobs and all this other kind of stuff. That's a huge L for the entire industry and, and especially the market leader. And so I think by getting ahead of it, and Sam is extremely savvy, I, I think it it buys them more time and, and then whatever the regulation that ends up coming is they're going to have a lot more job, uh, more opportunity to shape it.
0: I wonder if it's almost reverse psychology, like because tech is infighting so much on the AI front or, or tech is so scared about it, may, maybe that's why other media or sort of DC is like, you know, they're so anti-tech that whatever the prevailing sentiment in tech is, they're, they're anti that, even if the sentiment in tech is that we're scared of the technology. Does does that make sense? I have actually seen a strain of
2: media, and that's what charges the whole political machine, uh, where there's an assumption that all the apocalyptic talk with AI is just marketing. And I kind of am inclined to agree. (laughs) Like, I actually sort of think this something to that when you're talking about oh my god you know my technology is capable of destroying the entire world and it's like uh, that's pretty good for me that's like very good marketing i'm like wow that's pretty powerful you control like you control a doomsday device tell me more that's wild
0: hey we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors i want to tell you about my new interview show upstream upstream is where i go deeper with some of the world's most interesting thinkers to map the constellation of ideas that matter On the first season of Upstream, you'll hear from Mark Andreessen, David Sachs, Balaji, Ezra Klein, Joe Lonsdale, and more. Make sure to subscribe and check out the first episode with Mark Andreessen. The link is in the description. Secureframe is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. Secureframe helps you get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months, and it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much. I invested in it, and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get twenty percent off your first year of SecureFrame.
2: You know, there is obviously danger to it, but I do think that a lot of the people talking about the danger are not actually afraid of it. They just want to talk about how what they're working on is very important, and then other, still, still, like a whole other group of people who are talking about the danger of AI also don't worry about the danger of AI based on just revealed preferences, in in my opinion, they're living their lives as normal. They're not trying to stop it or anything. I think that it's an intelligence signal in this weird sort of, you know, Bay Area, polyamorous cult thing of the rationalists. Like it's a way for you to peacock. You're one of the people who's smart enough to understand X risk. And that's what is happening. So it's like this very strange set of ideas that correlates with value, social value, which makes the whole thing super interesting because it's so insular and so loud and so close to us. Like we all have friends who are rationalists and and also just when I look at the politicians like, why are you here? I hear that. (laughs) I'm like, I get that. I understand that that impulse.
0: It's like tech global warming. Like Yud is our like Al Gore who made a lot of money for that and, and yud will be you know properly uh, compensated at some point too
1: there are tiers of humorism right so it's like debt ceiling is that's the most basic because like, it's right in front of you and like oh my god the debt ceiling I'm, I'm i'm gonna like you know clutch my pearls on the debt ceiling then it's climate change but if you're if you're truly enlightened it's it's agi risk is it's like I, I these are these are petty matters these matters are, you know earthly matters <laughs> i'm worried about the the singularity here
2: when the politicians would actually sort of try and address some some risk that was in front of them that they could you know sink their teeth into they're like hey you know what about mass job loss like let's actually talk about a really crazy scenario where everyone 80% of people are out of work or something and and let's talk about uh, let's talk about the um, intellectual property stuff and what happens when you're just stealing the work of artists and musicians and writers and how do we think about that how should you how would you think about that? All the rationalists were making fun of it. Like how dare, like these morons who would talk about something so petty as mass job loss and the theft of intellectual property when obviously this like unknowable apocalypse is just on the, we're on the precipice of disaster. It's just, yeah, they, they want to always be reminding people that they're smarter than them. And it's like, okay, I mean, maybe you are, but shut the fuck up. <laughs>
0: Just to compare it to AI sort of sentiment to social media sentiment among sort of the media or DC, like the terms that come to mind for social media are, you know, disinformation or misinformation or, um, you know, teenage girl depression or, you know, leading to Trump, all, all these terrible things in their minds. And yet that, that that same mood affiliation, like on AI is like, hey, m- maybe these companies are overrating or it's, un- it's, it's just unclear where it nets out. And, you know, AI is so much more of a threat. Than social media is, and is just it's I, to Dan's point, much to my chagrin. I wonder if it's like a game of reverse psychology played played well on on behalf of people who are trying to accelerate uh, AI advancement if they've been able to convince people not to be concerned about it.
1: I was just going to say, I, I think twenty twenty three new technology is very different than two thousand three new technology in that Congress it, technology is extremely powerful, right? Like the most valuable companies in in the U S. are now all technology companies. Um, we spend all of our entertainment time outside of like a very sl- small sliver of like live sports. Everything comes through these companies, and so it's 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 now much more relevant for politicians. And every new new whether it's hardware or some software paradigm shift is going to affect all the things downstream that are related to these politicians, right? So, Apple's going to release this new headset. People are going to laugh, it's gonna be $3,000, you are gonna have like a battery fanny pack on the side, you're gonna have all of these people tell you how stupid this is. I think there's a decent chance that they sell the 10 million the first year, even though it's $3,000, because there's a bunch of nerds who are like, this is super cool. I've been waiting my whole life for this. And then within three or five years, there's going to be all this stuff of people are spending too much time on, on, you know, in, in the metaverse in VR. You have incels who now have, you know, virtual partners and they're they're having, you know, digital sex and like we can't get people to have real sex anymore and procreate like it, it, it will just become this huge issue because ultimately if, if people are using the products and spending time in them, they are they, the, the attention is the scarce resource and that that's that's it, it immediately becomes relevant for the politicians.
2: If they are. I mean, I would say that I'm skeptical of the VR stuff at this point. But I want—I do want something else. You said about the entertainment. I think is really interesting. The fact that we spend so much of our time now, uh, our entertainment time is is given to these technology companies, that cannot be overstated. How how big of a change it is from two thousand three or even twenty thirteen. Let's think about two thousand. I think nine or ten. The last writer's strike in Hollywood. You have a writer strike that actually matters. Where. I mean, I remember watching different shows back then. I think Battlestar Galactica had a whole season destroyed over this. Almost the show almost ended. There were shows that ended um, that I watched, that we would watch. People were watching TV still, like actual television. They would go at like you know 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, there was a show. It did feel like that was on its way out, but it was still happening. And so the writer's strike was a thing. I I don't hear about it. I don't have any sense of the writer's strike now other than I see some tweets. I saw a tweet the other day trying to say, You know, in case you don't know what the writer's strike is about, and they pointed to some AI thing, and it was like a super abstract argument that nobody's going to care about. And the reason is because we're not watching TV. We're not even just streaming. Like you said, people are on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, and that's their television. Even while they're watching television, they're on those apps scrolling. And that, I mean, I think that's bleak and I don't love it, but also it's just very different.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look, Look at uh, Twitter, right? What did they launch this week? Two hours of video. You know that that technology has existed for ten years, but somehow the the Twitter R and D team
2: never was able to figure it out, and Elon was able to do it in, a, in you know in nine months. But I wonder why though. Like I wonder with the Twitter stuff, why why wouldn't they go into video? Is it prof- is it does they not want to? Is there some platform war type thing that could happen with YouTube? I guess I can't imagine how YouTube could hurt Twitter, whereas I could imagine how Twitter could hurt YouTube.
1: Yeah, Twitter Twitter is upstream of of a population of YouTube links, right? Like, the, Twitter is distribution for everyone until Twitter captures that uh, on Twitter. But I think I think if you just you know I spent a lot of time thinking about this, the the dominant form factor for entertainment is is a infinite scrollable feed, because it's it's think of like the era that we grew up in, like channel surfing like, you know, just bumping the channel. And okay, and then the next, next one. <laughs> now you just have that as the it's actually the default behavior, like it doesn't even last long enough for you to keep going, like you just you just keep scrolling. And it, it can be anywhere you are, it can be in the coffee line, it can be doom scrolling in bed for several hours. Um, And and so I think like, that is just like the fundamental thing in society that I don't think people grok enough is just the, the phone is where attention is spent if you just take the total percentage of time in a kind of digital form or like a mass media form and so now that's where the politicians want to make sure that they they have the most control and what is challenging for them is they passed a law and then this is going back to the why here's like a reasonable argument if you believe the politicians that they don't want to regulate it is you pass a set of laws in the in the late 90s on based on the oh uh, the internet's going to be this thing on a computer you have a computer room and a modem and whatever and then it turns into this like ubiquitous s- supercomputer in your pocket that just like you can spend infinite amounts of time on wherever you are and Section two hundred and thirty I, I I'm a believer in like that I think that there's been massively value accretive to to the U S and the world in terms of all the technology companies but but the reality is you have a First Amendment in Section two hundred and thirty which the Supreme Court just upheld. That makes it very hard for these politicians outside of them repealing it and putting it in place which you know is always hard they, they 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 can't get their claws into this stuff so they have to do all this like bs like the ftc stuff for facebook and twitter and like but they they, they can't actually get control of the algorithms right where they did do that with television right like they had what is the fairness doctrine or i forget what it was, it was like equal time slots for politicians there was all this like mucking around with the way TV worked, plus the fact that in a pre-cable era, there were only three, you know, four stations and and that limited spectrum allowed for a lot more quasi-government control. As much as we, you know, we, we were a free speech country, like the, the TV networks had a lot more uh, control based on how the laws were put in place. Like you couldn't swear on them and all that other
2: kind of stuff. I, w- I was wondering recently at what would ha- happen if uh, it was after the Sam Altman hearing, because th- there was so much not so much, but there were a couple of people who were very, very just openly, we wanna get rid of 230. And I just wondered what that would look like. Now we don't really maybe have to worry because the challenge was just turned down by the Supreme Court. Did you guys read this? That's, so yeah, there was a challenge to 230 that went to the Supreme Court and they wouldn't hear it, I think. They said, it's we're not gonna hear this challenge or whatever. So 230 lives another day.
1: Well, the Gonzalez first YouTube. And then I think there was another case and, and basically they found it's like, okay, if someone commits a terrorist act because they were radicalized by watching YouTube videos, like remember that whole Kevin Reuss, yeah, yeah like you, if you if you stay on the YouTube algorithm too long, you become a terrorist. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, the Supreme Court has decided um, that you're not liable as YouTube if you watch a bunch of videos and then and then commit crime. Basically.
2: Yeah. It turns out the terrorist is still
0: is still liable for the terrorism. Right.
2: Yeah. Not <laughs> not aware. YouTube. So. New York Times hit hardest.
0: Not enough accountable. Well, yeah. <laughs> I want to segue into Twitter uh, you know Twitter recently announced it or it came out that there was a new CEO uh, emerging Mike you had a great tweet which is uh, can anyone check if she's liked my tweets I need to know if I can trust her uh, <laughs> um, so you know we briefly touched on it last week with Dan but Mike I want to hear your take on the on the on the new CEO but more broadly let's reflect on uh, you know the past X months of a you know new regime in Twitter you know in terms of reflect on it from a business perspective, like what do we think about the prospects of the business? You know, we're both, we're all avid, uh, you know, addicts of, of the of the platform. You you, you know, you, our businesses are on it. Um, You know, business competing with it. Um, But then also, what do we think about from a societal perspective uh, as well? So there's a lot to talk about there. I'll, Son, I'll let you take the first step. Well, I think that the new CEO is just a puppet. I think
2: that the whole point of her is to have someone who Elon could blame for things that people aren't happy about. And I think that's smart. I think he needs that. I think that he needs some breathing room and he needs to not be the main character on Twitter for a while. One thing I worry about with him is I think that he might understand that on some level, but also he's drawn to it and he likes to be the main character. And there's one weird thing that's been happening like it with Trump and now with Elon in the context of Twitter specifically, it's like the best you can actually, like if you win the game of Twitter, you control your own Twitter-like platform. Like that's kind of like what it leads to. Um, and in, the, in a sense, I feel like that's what, it, like psychologically, like we're, maybe when you're in the game, you're drawn to that in, in some way. And he's stuck in that machine of just being like, you know, the winner of Twitter. I think that's worrisome. You know, I want him to go and work on important things. And I think it's that's degrading of someone's mental health. I think it's bad for the platform. I think it's bad for him. I think he's done a good job in terms of just as Dan mentioned a second ago, um, you know, they've been capable of doing long form video for a long time and now they're just like now doing it. There's a lot of stuff they're just now doing. What I hope that Elon does is starts killing some of the product developments that aren't working. I, I have no problem with him introducing it. I think it's cool, really cool to watch him introduce new products and like really rapidly and be like, we're trying this now. and. But I think he's got to get better at sort of accepting when something doesn't work. And I think right now subscriptions is not working and he needs to just either change it dramatically or I mean, for example, no one even knows that I'm on subscriptions right now. There's no way for me to add in a tweet thread Like I start with one that's free and then there's like a a paid one only. I would love to be giving comments to people that they have to actually pay to read. That would be wild if it was like someone's in my mentions being insulting and I'm just like, I respond, but for subscribers only, that would be cool. There are all these things that you could do that you're not doing, but what you are doing is hamstringing traffic to places that you consider competitive because what Substack is they have a notes product that nobody uses and they have a CMS really, which Twitter doesn't have. So by that i mean you substack is a way that you can kind of bootstrap a media company you're publishing articles is what they look like and on twitter you can't really do that and i've tried and i'm still trying and it's it's like there are a lot of problems with just the format it's unreadable people don't like it they tell me they don't like it they don't want to read it and then the bigger problem is you can't share it outside of twitter in a way that makes sense in a way that everything else if you're sharing you know links to substack or links to the new york times you can share that anywhere with a tweet. It's like it doesn't it it it's not presented in the way that is meant to be shared like that. And um, so I would say just in general, I I think, I mean the the sort of incoherence on the topic of speech, like high level, I I think it's been a mixed bag from Elon. I think even maybe the best example of this is just the Twitter files. Like in the very beginning, you're like, wow, this is an unambiguous good. Amazing. And as they kind of leak on, you're like, this is petty and not really helpful and not really informative. And it's just mixed bag. I'm glad it exists, but there's good and there's bad. And overall, I think it's really important that Elon took the company because it doesn't matter what the rules are on Twitter. This is a point that I feel like people have this sense that I'm this like, complete Elon propagandist on Twitter. So so they want to attack me all the time when I'm like, it doesn't matter what the rules are on Twitter. They want to kind of mishear that and and hear me saying like, it doesn't matter that Elon doesn't support free speech or whatever, like, of course it matters. Political censorship is wrong and we want to live in a world where that doesn't exist. However, the most important thing, what I'm saying is like the most important thing about Elon controlling Twitter is that there is now one major social media platform that follows a different set of rules than every other major social media platform. And so because of that, it like almost doesn't matter what the dominant rules are on either platform. What you have now is something closer to an approximation of, of, like, of more free speech-rich social internet just because they're different. There are going to be things that you can't do on, on Twitter, that you can do on Facebook and vice versa. And that's better than living in a world where all the platforms are coordinating in real time to deplatform, you know, Alex Jones or whatever at the exact same moment. That's really bad. We forget actually how much worse things were. And even not even just before Elon, I feel like things cooled down before Elon took over, but they, they were really really bad and probably they're going to get really really bad again in the next election and what I worry about I'm hopeful for Elon. I think he's going to stick to his guns, but what, but he's going to be under a lot of pressure to start doing political censorship as this election heats up. And that's when we'll see. That's when we'll see what he's really made of. I think.
1: My sense on the the subscription product is he just he's just iterating on it, right? So he tried to do the you know, blue check apocalypse on four hundred and twenty, didn't work. So starts adding back blue checks, and I think progressively they've just added back most of them. I think the only group of people that haven't really got them back are journalists, which that, I think <laughs> is pretty funny, um, yes. right? So it's like the the, the actual notable people they got them back and then if you worked at the new york times uh you you don't <laughs> i think that that's great i think that the corporate affiliations product you can argue on it feels a little crowded and cringe or whatever i actually think this it's excellent and um the real the revealed preference here is i see an increasing number of companies paying for that to have that badge and that's a thousand bucks a month and, and so I think mean, the original version was, you know, because when you let J. Kyle do product, like you just, um, but good insight to do the badges, but their version was, oh, well, the New York Times can go buy it for all of their people. Instead of blue checks, you get a the the New York Times badge, which potentially is, is valuable. And it's like, well, that was a miscalculation because these people hate Elon, so they're not going to go do it. But what I'm seeing is if you look at a bunch of startups, like if the startup hits a certain amount of funding, they just go and get the badge. Like they, they, they actually want that uh, status. And so I think that that's a smart product. And the reality is, is if you get companies to pay for it, they are way less sensitive. And so your $8 subscription a month, that's $125 $8, you know, a month subscriptions for $1,000 a month. And maybe you dial that up over time. And And I actually think there's a bit of like, Okay, what is an ad on Twitter worth? Eh, like we we we've actually programmed to ignore it. Whereas if you're a company and you now pay for the whatever tier to get like the right gold check, and they just say, hey, we're going to give you a boost on your your corporate tweets. So effectively, it becomes this the pervasive ad. And I'm not saying that I want that as a consumer, but I think that there are some really smart ways to just basically get companies to they they don't think they're advertising on Twitter because they didn't like write ad copy in a specific ad and use the old ad product it's just like their presence on Twitter getting a boost is the ad i'm optimistic that they're going to continue iterate their way there and actually find like a decent decent chunk of revenue just from from these companies um and and massively increase the number of advertisers in addition now they have a ceo who who she knows how to sell ads and and he just added eight gig uh two hour videos so you know that there are going to be more people in tucker carlson and and so i i think that the the biggest thing we brought up this up last week is if he can just moderate a little bit on the the right coded of where he is right now towards a more centrist thing and not have the main character thing blowing up and and maybe maybe that's the winning strategy i i don't know i i tend to disagree with it i mean he he had that interview this week with cnbc So he had the, you know, Princess Bride quote, you know. He was like, I'm never going
2: to stop saying stupid shit. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever. I will die first.
1: (laughs) But what's interesting is, so do you know how that interview worked? He did that interview on CNBC. But now Elon is making all of these interviewers, when they do it, they do a Twitter space. So it's just Elon in the Twitter space, and he's just broadcasting the live audio out on the platform. And so I I think what if I was to kind of give the the best case is he is the like a super active user of the product right like he uses all these different things and so he's getting an intuition for this stuff as a, as the biggest account on the platform and I think he's gonna uh, I, I'm confident like if he can do the reusable rockets and mainstream electric cars I think he can figure out the product of of Twitter it's 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 not rocket science and so I, I think if he can modulate a little bit, he can still say what he wants to say, but bring it back. I think naturally the the left coded folks show back up because the reality is the reveal preferences, they want the distribution, right? So you might go use Mastodon or Blue Sky or whatever your, you know, mood affiliation, decentralized social and, and you know, get excited about that, maybe use Farcaster. But the reality is when when you want the most eyeballs to see the the thing that you worked on, whether that's a news article, a substack, a new company feature or whatever, you're launching that on Twitter. You're not doing it on YouTube, not doing it on Instagram. I mean a certain subset.
2: Well, I mean, maybe not a substack anymore. And I th- just because you can't it's their the traffic is so hamstrung and I don't think that's gonna end. And I actually think that he's gonna be I mean, Elon wants everything to happen on his platform. Everything up. Yeah, that's his ambition. It's everything. And I think it starts with Substack. But it moves to things like YouTube. It moves to he's going to go back to the social media thing where you couldn't post your links to other social media apps, and he's eventually going to get. Once all of that's taken care of, then he goes after the media companies. It's like the New York Times links can no longer be shared here, things like that. I think I do think that's where this ends, unless they pay maybe tons of money or something. I don't know. Right, right, But, but 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 that my push is
1: so the same people who are saying freedom of speech, not freedom of reach, thinking they're cute. And it's like, great, he just basically said, no freedom of reach, like you're a competing media platform, I am going to de boost your your links. Again, do I agree with that personally? No. But if you just look at the move on the court, the reveal preferences, people are going to take an algo boost. If you do the long tweet, or you do the native Twitter video, or, you know, I, I, like, just a basic thing. Whenever I tweet, and I'm tweeting about something that I'm trying to get people to go to another thing. I don't put links in the first uh, tweet anymore. I always just put an image cuz it's like the image gets more engagement and then it's like okay and then it's annoying cuz I, I I just want the link it's like go do this thing okay great I I'm, I want to do it how do I find it I got to click and then I go to the next link but he he's already made the algo transparent he's like the more time you spend that's why we have the threads right the the more distribution you're going to get and so twitter is about distribution like people can uh kind of reminisce about the days where it was like ah oh, it's just like a bunch of tech people hanging out online or whatever. And, and there are going to be spaces for, to do that. But but when you want to broadcast something to the largest group of people with the potential to go viral, you do it on Twitter. I
0: just want a public service announcement. You could follow Taylor Lorenz on LinkedIn, I believe. <laughs> she said something
2: recently that I almost, I haven't done a Taylor screenshot in a while, but um, I was re-watching an old, our, our last Moz episode and we, we had talked about her on that. And I talked about how I thought she was cool. And I thought that the, the like mythology around her was really interesting and that she leans into that and she embraces that i think is funny and she i saw the other day people were freaking out about a thread that actually i almost defended her but let's not get crazy um <laughs> where she was accused of like getting fear the floof this is a ca- the, the cat uh pl- the platform a the long thread of things that that's not what ha- I, that's not what happened i interviewed fear the floof about this and he, he deleted his own account. The Wayback Machine, I do believe that she has an uncle who owns that, but also you can anyone can have their stuff removed from the Wayback Machine. You just have to ask them. I've never done it, so I don't know how easy it is. It's sort of a standing question that I would like someone to answer, but it's not necessarily nefarious that she did that. And I clicked over to her feed and I saw her talking about the lore. She's like, whatever, just adds to the lore. And it's like, it's, she has lore and that's, God bless. That's awesome. Love her. I'm happy for her.
0: The, uh, the mythology of her talking to the Wayback Machine or her having special privileges in Twitter, which may be true, I don't know, but it's it's almost like uh, in the Matrix, like talking to the creator or something. Like there's this higher power that sets the reality and like she's in touch with it in some you know weird, weird way. Um, I guess she was in a way that, maybe some
2: of us are now, in that we're closer to Elon and he sees this stuff and their team sees this stuff. And, and probably there is a lot, back in the day, Taylor was speaking directly to the kind of blue haired Nazis who worked for Twitter's content moderation team. So she was really, this is why she was such a huge target is because people kind of clocked her as an influencer of the most influential people alive. <laughs> My mom yesterday or, like this last week's a few days ago, she was just casually started talking about this Rolling Stone article that accused me of election denialism, which I'm not, by the way, I voted for Joe Biden. I'm embarrassed about it, but I voted for Joe Biden. I'm like, that didn't happen, mom. That's crazy. Like, no way that, first of all, does the Rolling Stone even, do they even exist? Like, second, like, why would they care about me? She's like, it happened, son. And uh, blah, blah, blah. And she sent me the link. And it was from six months ago. And it was because. Elon Musk, it was right when he was taking over Twitter, he was talking to me a lot. I was one of many people that they were, that they, they did like a, it was like six or seven accounts that were like these like really right-wing scary accounts. And with journalists at that time, they were very afraid that the person who was now going to be calling the moderation shots was influenced by people like me. And uh, actually that's a valid concern. If you're them, just the other day, I don't know how it happened but uh i mean there was a one of these crazy communist accounts like in san francisco local politics they went after gary tan and kind of threatened to kill him with a it was like a it was like a gun emoji and a guillotine thing and they were like we're gonna get you or whatever i screenshot it and just made a comment about it i was like it's weird you know what sort of violent language we're allowed to say and what we're not and it got a lot of attention and that person got deplatformed. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> like that's that like, that is these, the rules are different. And I don't know, who, I don't know who saw that or how that happened. Um, but if I were on the other side, I would be very mad at me right now. I would be like, you know, you're getting people to platform, like you're the man, you're like a fascist and all of this. Um, even though, you know, I don't have any kind of official relationship with anyone over there I don't know how it works, but I do know that a lot of people over there now are followers of mine. And I think it would be stupid to pretend that that doesn't mean something in a way that it did mean something back when Taylor was friends with their content moderation team.
1: To, to be fair to that that tweet, it was like Gary Tan was saying, you know, use your democratic uh, right to vote for another candidate because this candidate I don't like. And someone responded, it was some, you know, non-account, it was like hippity hoppity. So it was like weird that it, it was like full horseshoe theory. So you have this really alt-right coded thing. It's like a frog with a gun and a yeah, guillotine. Like a yeah, so it's just like, wait a second. So I thought Pepe was like, right now it's left coded because like, I was like, ah, horseshit theory, no.
2: Yeah, so you're saying that they should have been deplatformed, platformed Or are you saying, are you defending them? I'm generally
1: against this idea of deplatforming platforming as like a concept. I think the idea of having multiple clients, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a world where this, this exists. That's like the version of there's a website I don't like, we need to take the website down. That's a much higher threshold than social media where an account can just be disappeared. That said, I think, and I actually should verify this, I would imagine they are a lot more transparent when they take those actions now versus the, you know, kind of uh, 1970s Argentina style, like they just disappear you and like you don't know what happens in the middle of the night.
2: I do think, I think if, if there are going to be moderation rules at all about violent language... You have to be consistent. And so that's kind of how I feel about that.
1: But that's a good example. So in the US, we have actually a set of speech that is not protected by the First Amendment as set up by the Supreme Court through legal precedent. So if if one of those things actually violates the law, then the company based in the US needs to actually do it. But I think without trying to split hairs here, it's like outside of a very narrow set of things, like I'm generally against deplatforming. And what I would say is, like, you can deboost on the algo side of things, or you can just kind of say, okay, this accounts in a like you have to opt in to view this account because they, we've deemed them to be, you know, whatever against our terms of service. But but the longer, the more people you can maintain the account of, but potentially put warnings and flags and things like that, I think is a better policy.
0: To close out this Twitter sort of topic, if if either of you were CEO of Twitter you know Solana, you mentioned his strategy which is to try to basically you know subsume the internet or all other even adjacent competing platforms onto twitter i believe you think that's not only a frustrating strategy as a content creator but a bad strategy like if you were ceo of twitter you wouldn't do that you would do something else
2: yeah it would have to be the place where you go to see everything else i like to, to fi- like the 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 in um in final fantasy VII, there is this like adventure land and uh the first stop of the adventure land is this circular room with a bunch of different tunnels in it and you like portals like you jump into each you can go to like the battle arena you can go to like the clothing area and you can go to whatever and you go there you always have to go there to see where everything else is that's where your that's where your internet journey begins and they should be they should be the sort of operating room of the whole internet they should be that should be the place that you go to see where to go and um And they they should then improve the advertising product and make a lot of money because everyone in the world goes to Twitter. If they got to a place where everyone went to Twitter to see what was going on and and where to go, that would be really powerful. And um, they were kind of on their way there. There were all sorts of things they could have done. Their product development was just really slow. And I I wish they would have leaned into that because now he's leaning into things like subscriptions, which that's not a lot of money. You know, it's the weirdest thing about his fight with Substack is how little money Substack is making and how I think that model, I like those guys. I like that product. I don't think that business model makes
0: sense. And, it- But in fairness to Elon, it's it, it, or in fairness to the, to push back a bit, it seems that when you say they were on the way there, you know, it was always, it was never going to be as big as Facebook or like Twitter has a onboarding problem or, you know, it's just, what is it? One in 10 Americans or something like they can't be as mass market as, as they wish they were. And so they, they either can make a little bit of money from a lot of people, but it seems like they had cap constraints on how big they can get, or they make making a lot of money from their power. Like Twitter is for power users, right? Twitter is for people like us. And so how do they make a lot of money from us Hence subscription, right?
2: Yeah, that's a good counterpoint. Maybe you're right. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I understand business better than Elon. So,
1: <laughs> I'm Twitter CEO tomorrow. I split the app into two apps. It's like Twitter, Bloodsport, Arena, Social Network that like the very online people like ourselves use. And like that is just you just make that the best place to just like absolutely go at it with the people that you hate online, which is what drives Twitter um, and connect with your with your friends. Right. <laughs> um, and then 98 percent of people, 95 percent of people use a TikTok like just call. So call one Twitter pro and don't charge anything for it. And then Twitter, which is just like no follow model. It's just a TikTok like infinite feed of the most interesting content that. You get a bunch of very online people to produce for free which is what basically happens today and i think it's just you you solve for two very different product use cases right one is just like i want the least amount of complexity and the maximum amount of entertainment and then the other one is give me my like you know like a fighter jet so that i can fight all these other people with all of these different tools and ways and things that i can I don't know. Just find the people that I hate the most and just really drive into it. Cuz that that that's actually I think what.
2: I think that a lot of people follow the blood sport who are not in it like themselves. Right, and but I... but that content would just flow, yeah. right? It's the same but, thing. You just really need a UI. better curation of that. Like there are people who genuinely follow these people like everyone who's active on Twitter, they follow them like they're the real housewives or something. And it's like, oh, did you see what so and so said to so and so? Oh, you gotta pull this thread up. And they like go in and it's like it's the human drama of it. They fall it is their television. It's my television. It's our television. I'm living in it and I'm also consuming it. It's really messed up.
1: But. but but it plays to a base human instinct. Like we are a tribal species and gossip and all of the things that we do are evolutionary based on like keeping people in check within the small little village we're in. We just now happen to have a village that is the entire internet. And Facebook is interesting because it's a bunch of uh, overlapping micro networks, right? Because it's like your friend graph isn't quite the same as this one. Whereas because of the unidirectional follow model with Twitter, I can follow you. You don't have to follow me back. And it just like you build these like huge broadcasts. You're basically just building up these like mech warriors on, on, on Twitter. And then like they can, you know, when like a Solana biology punch against someone, it's like, oh shit. And then Elon jumps in with a reply guy and like the boost. And it's like, oh, uh, like ah, it's going off. Like, um it's like that scene in the matrix when it's like, yo, Neo and Morpheus are fighting. And then they like, everyone like runs out of the, the kitchen to go see it. But like, that's basically what happened. Like there was this this meta meme for, you know, the very online folks this week, biology got in a fight with power bottom dad. And there was like this, like, I think like Luke Metro or whatever, like bottom side. I was like, yeah. and then, so it's like, yo, biology and power bottom are fighting and like everyone's like oh shit like i gotta go see see what was said and 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 like you know if you get in a fight with biology on on twitter you're gonna now with the long tweets like you're gonna get like these long responses <laughs> with with the you know the good little pairings plus he's yeah. gonna have seven citations like not someone you want to fight with on twitter <laughs> he's gonna outlast you
2: yeah he is um you said something so on the tribal thing i wrote about in a piece for firewires i think it was it was called uh now, uh, navigating our haunted transsexual internet. I talked about this, this, this thing, uh, the tribal thing where, yes, all of these tools, the gossip and the sort of mediation of conflict and things, this is how we get to consensus. That's the thing that we're actually trying t- to come to tribally. Like we're trying to get everybody on the same page. That's the impulse. And that was really important, I think, evolutionarily throughout time, it seems to me. Today, I don't think that that is actually, consensus is not possible in a world of hundreds of millions of people on the same app i do not believe it's possible let's just give me one second to finish that so i don't think consensus on pretty much anything let alone like really core values things is possible however the things that set us off are all the same and they're all magnified something like the bud light story with dylan mulvaney like that is a story that is actually so that's abstractable the trans story in general just the trans transness that's perfectly designed to set people off it polarizes them and then you have this like weird conversation about the nature of reality the nature of biology the nature of humanity that tribally like you feel this like we can't move forward as a people until we agree on what's going on here because it's very 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 weird so the internet surfaces that conversation but then makes it impossible to come to uh any kind of consensus on that issue so it just drives us insane and i think that the you i think it's weirdly new uh it's like we, we don't often acknowledge how new the internet and especially social media at scale is and i don't think it's this is not only is it not healthy it's not lindy and i don't think it can last i think i think that some fundamental change has to happen in the way that social media, like i don't think that a twitter sort of mass war thing can last forever and um i think maybe smaller communities is, is going to be the future
1: so, so now I want to, to use the Avengers <laughs> Twitter is infinity war. Like we just say, it's going to last forever, but I think it's any culture war issue, right? Like another shooting boom. Like everyone just got their, their, their charts. They've got their, you know, whatever memes. they take the same video clip, half of the video clip they can use to their side. And the other side is using the other side of the video clip. But like, it just, but, but, but it goes back It's just blood sport. It, it's the fodder. It's the cannon fodder for, for the daily culture war blood sport. Um, I would say there is one way we do reach consensus on the internet and it's called cryptocurrencies, like by definition, <laughs> like you, you have a consensus algorithm and it's worked so far, at least with Bitcoin and Ethereum. What does it, what does it
0: say about Dylan Mulvaney? How, is it going to have right. us to get consensus on No, but, a,
1: but I think like if does you just brought in generous, the point to
0: any culture war issue, how, how when do we currency believe
2: in?
1: <laughs> yeah what but like what culture war issue have we 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 made progress on with social media it's, it's oh none yeah none. None. it's just uh, the, it's, it's just we know that it's like red tribe
2: think about red that we said though because previously we did as a culture make we did make i you could say yeah because it was, cause all, was a slower oh, moving oh, process oh. and it was
1: more diffuse now it's 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 all concentrated into these just like who has the best dunks
2: when you think about for example, the Dylan Mulvaney Budweiser thing. Um, this is for maybe people who are, I feel like it's almost impossible that Moz listeners don't know about this, but we're talking about obviously the trans influencer um, getting a face, like her face on a can and sent to her and her doing a commercial for them. Internet explodes. That's something that should have lasted less long than a school shooting. It, 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 it That drama lasted like six weeks. And that was when I decided to write, I was like, whoa, this is, this has more intensity than I'm used to for something so stupid. And what that indicated to me was that people were being driven crazier by this than they have been in the past. And I, it seems like it has to come to some kind of breaking point. I don't know how we can persist in this world where people are, are not only living with two entirely different sets of, I don't know, frameworks for what reality is, but they also want uh, everyone else to agree with them. And that's what you have now. It's like, it's not just like, oh, we're, we're happy to sort of have Californians be weird and and sort of maybe in San Francisco, gender doesn't exist. And like, everyone's a hermaphrodite or something. But, you know, in Texas, it's like, man and woman and whatever else it, it, no one wants that everyone wants everyone to be like them and that's a product that is the internet where where you're like no everyone has to be exactly like me and i can see some asshole in tennessee who's not like me and it makes me mad and i want them to change those are new things i think uh it's new to be so intimately connected to people who are not like you and who you need to be like you
0: that is new but what is old is the idea of the personal is political and the universalized you know your universalizing tendency of you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to, you know, justice yeah, everywhere. That's true. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because Mark actually gave me gave us the, the alternative framing on polarization, which is that the alternative is just a one party state, right? The the alternative of an infinity war is just one part, w- one side dominates. And if you don't like that side, well, that that's a bad world. If you like that side, then you win.
2: That's sort of the history of the 20th century America. It was a one party state. You're talking about media polarization or media like separate there. We had a couple of channels that were controlled by the same sort of dominant voice.
1: Well, well maybe, maybe for the audience, if, if like that kind of philosophical or intellectual frame and, and this, I think Curtis talks about this, but basically it's the idea that you think that there is a Democrat and Republican, but the reality is they are the same. It's an establishment and the Republicans are just 20 years behind the, the, you know, and you have some kind of more crazy, theatrical oriented ones. But the idea that that there is actually no real independent, uh, anything outside of the establishment until the internet, and now now you're getting exposed to the fringe sub stacks, the weird people on Twitter on all that. and 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 that's actually causing more of the polarization than it was, you know, this, this simple frame of red versus blue, like it was actually never that it's, 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 you're getting exposed to the the full radioactive potential of humanity.
2: The algorithm surfaces the most extreme things. And so it's like that's all we can, all we can talk about. The two things that we're allowed to talk about in the trans conversation. It's like one, either like your three-year-old should be taught about sex change operations in kindergarten, or two, like what was the phrase? Trans should be abolished. Like, like we're going back. Like none of this stuff should even exist. They should lock them up. No gender reassignment surgery for grown ass adults who are crazy, whatever. Like, I'm probably people are listening here and like, they're like, that's not that crazy. I think, I think, I don't know uh maybe there's no room for a, a liberal like myself these days
1: but but the other thing is like so i i, I like a it founda- uh foundational principle for me is personal freedom like i think that's like it's very american to say like i want to be able to live my life within the bounds of what society decides is the law the way i want to live my life and and it's weird to think that that is not even like considered call it conservative anymore it feels like i'm like when if I say that and, and you know I live in L.A. if I was to say personal freedom, people would be like, "Did you vote for Trump? Like, or or like, are you a libertarian?" Or like, it's like, no, I I actually voted for Joe Biden as well, and I'm I think libertarians are like completely ineffective, right? And so, but like personal freedom should be a core tenet of what makes you American, right? Like we have this amazing Constitution, and we have a federal system, and yeah. Can you get everything you want in every single part of the country in every state? No. And, and, and do I think the arc of progress bends towards, you know, call it Whig history, pr- progressivism? Yes. So over time, things just kind of get more normalized. But the reality is, is that like you want a certain set of uh, kind of beliefs encoded in a state's laws and or your own lifestyle. There are places you can move in this country that that are going to be very supportive of that. Right. Like you want to maximize on a certain set of personal freedoms move to San Francisco, right? And you're going to you're going to not have a certain set there. You want to maximize on a different set? Move to Miami. Like it like that is such a powerful thing that you're still living in the same country but like you can have actually very very different things to optimize for. And and I don't know, it, to your point, I think the internet just like collapses everything to everyone should be the same as me. It's like the Buzz Lightyear meme where it's like there's one Buzz Lightyear and then you just see the whole shelf of all the like same and it's like everyone wants everyone to be the exact same person and of course the beliefs that they want are their beliefs right
2: they're old problems but the medium is totally new and so I think that actually it's it's we're not appreciating how different things are now than they were even 10 years ago
1: I, I think if you just have one chart to explain it it's the amount of so it's people have an amount of leisure time right so it's like they probably are still working the same amount and sleeping the same amount and you know eating like but the time that the the Facebook addressable market, right, Facebook starts their earnings call every time with how much time spent that like kind of whether you're watching TV or you're going and doing some other type of leisure activity, it's just the total share of leisure time that is spent in feeds in apps that is correlated with all of this, right? Because the algorithms are going to centralize in a, in a way the, the the content that we're seeing, the culture war stuff that we're fighting about with a slight nuance of if I'm one, you know, right coded or left coded, I'm going to get the version of the world where it's either a dunk or look how terrible these people are being and like, you know, and then it of course, turns into another dunk back. And so it's just your tribe. And and the world filtered through the same set of events
2: just with a, you know, your your political coding. The, the algorithms impression of me, whatever it feeds me, I wish you could like trade for you feeds with my political enemies or even just opt in. Like if, if there was like a drawdown menu and I could just like click in to see what their for you feed looks like, that would be cool. I would even pay for it. If I would pay people for it, I would pay to see what, I don't know, it's a popular CNN broadcaster. What, what does their for you feed look like? And, and why do you want them to understand them or? Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um,
1: this feature actually existed for a brief moment on Twitter. I remember Patrick Carlson tweeting about it or something, and it was like really buried, but you could actually get to a point where you could just see the person's feed. But this was in an era, and, and I think a lot about this with, with Farcaster, because this is extremely easy to do on a on a decentralized social networking protocol, right? So whether it's Farcaster or Blue Sky or Mastodon or, or whatever, and actually a couple, like the one that Jack Dorsey's into, Noster, which is a little bit more Bitcoin-coded, a bunch of the clients already have this. So you can just be like, oh, you, you can't post as Jack, but you can log in as Jack and you can actually just see the world through Jack's eyes because everything is just open to do. What gets challenging, and I think this is what you're capturing in, in what you said though, is the for you page, that is not observable, right? Because there's so much more data beyond just who you're following. The reveal preference of what counts you spend time on, right? Like time spent is such a big impact on, or you know influence on how these algorithms now work. And so you know what you are actually spending time watching it's like people always complain there's like I feel like Twitter now is all these fight videos well it's like the fight videos you 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 know you shouldn't click I through I
2: saw someone say that I'm like I don't have fight videos okay honey. but but know, you watch one or two
1: fight videos then yes, exactly yeah yeah
2: like that person I'm like the reason you're looking at them is cuz you're obsessed with them right they show problem.
1: they show up and I'm like you know it's funny there was a family member I will not name in my broader family we were, you know, at some event, we we're talking about it. And and they go, Yeah, I've gotten really into Instagram reels. And I'm like, what, like, of all the people I know in my life, uh, not really that into social media. And he's like, Yeah, I've been watching these videos of car crashes. <laughs> and I'm just like, when left to your own devices, this is what we do, right? Like, it's just like, can't, you know, the, the whole like rubbernecking phenomena, it's like, you can't turn away. It's like, yeah, because it's, 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 you know, overrides the, the certain part of your brain. And so I think that that's the challenge with the the for you stuff is even though you might have the kind of um, public data set of what you do, where you spend time, and I don't think anyone wants to really publicly advertise, it'd be like the equivalent of like having your internet browsing history just be public. People don't want that. So so that will accrue with whatever tool you're doing the browsing and and that time spent.
0: Um, is, is the actual algorithm at this point. The, um, to close out the Elon topic, what's funny is, you know, the, the there are all sorts of complaints about his Twitter behavior, but the stuff that is relatively harmless um, or not as threatening is kind of the, you know, the the titter stuff, you know, sort of the juvenileness around, you know, certain um, sexual dynamics or, or cryptocurrency, like Doge, you know, pushing or that kind of thing. But what's really a threat is that he's he taking sort of people like Libs of TikTok or Iron Miles talk or these people who were getting, you know, threat, threats to be banned or certainly, you know, deplatformed in the old regime, and he's he's endorsing them. He's not only letting <laughs> yeah. people, he's endorsing them to 130 million people. He, he's, like, speedrunning Michelle Tandler or something. He's speedrunning becoming based, like, <laughs> or, or, you know, and there's a highbrow version of it, which is, like, Richard Hanania, you know, uh, and there's a lowbrow version of it, which is, like, you know, uh, we, I don't need to name, name like, accounts, uh, but... It's it's just it's fascinating to to watch, and he's he's down on.
2: I would also say that I don't necessarily agree that the titter and stuff like that is not offensive to these people. I think that they see it as really really scary because his behavior is that of a teenage boy, and teenage boys are uncontrollable. They they see teenage boy teenage boys the teenage boy the American teenage male is like the opposite of the woke substitute teacher energized like hall monitor that defined the previous era of the internet they exist in fact that that type of person exists to control teenage boys and now it's like they're gone and there's a teenage boy
0: on the throne and it's like buckle up i do agree but i I guess i would say even if he was if his tone was totally sober and mature and he was calmly saying hey you know looks like." You know let's relitigate michael brown in 2014 and all, all this stuff that he's bringing up i think the vitriol would be just as much because he's he, he's substantively pushing on the pressure points in addition to his tone and but i think his tone gives a gives an attack vector that you know isn't necessarily strategic for him
1: and let me can i put a posit so we talked about this with catherine about serious people i think what drives people crazy more than anything else about elon um and they, I don't think most people admit it, and the people who kind of like rocket man bad, is it's kind of a play on Peter's thing about Trump being a serious person, too, is that Elon doesn't act like a serious person, but is an extremely serious person, right? Like reusable rockets, mainstreaming electric cars, like Neuralink, all that shit, Like, like the outcomes there are very serious in terms of moving humanity forward. And what the people on the other side don't like is what they care about is how you act in terms of your, what you say, how you are perceived as being serious, which means the establishment, and then I actually care about the outcomes, right? So it's like, I'm going to talk about climate change and the Paris you know, climate agreement and all this BS, but then I'm going to shut down my nuclear plants, right? Whereas the, the Elon version of it is, I'm going to put these crazy you know, conspiracy theories. And I I don't even like that word. But like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna surface a lot of chaos. But I actually have the, you know, he did this back in March, I have the only concrete plan to systematically reducing our dependence on fossil fuels at every part of the energy stack in the economy. And he can talk through that at a first principles level. And then like the best argument against him is like, Oh, well, he's, he's a marketer. And, and he has his timelines wrong. It's like, Bro, like, what electric car have you have you sold? He has 50% of the electric cars in this country. How many supercharges have they built, right? Like, uh, it, it just it's just insane. Like Starlink. Like, it, it, so the 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 fact that he doesn't do what the establishment wants in terms of the act that's what drives people crazy. Yeah, I agree. No one thinks Jeff Bezos is childish, but Jeff Bezos has a mermaid version of Lauren Sanchez on the front of his yacht. Which but, but because oh, he owns the
2: Washington Post and he Oh, I'm sorry. I will defend it all day. I think it was awesome. I, I think go <laughs> off, King. Like he like please, who doesn't want who doesn't want their like their pod lover the as a statue on the top of their or like on the what is it called? The mast or whatever. What is all that right, part all of right. I, I'll, I'll give you I actually of their, thought it was of their I, mega yacht, it's the like the biggest sailing yacht in the world. Like that is some king shit. I'm that, completely not well, it's not called that few really
1: money for if you're not gonna say F you, right? But but I guess like Bezos, he owns the post. He he's a little bit more bought into the establishment. They hate and, him.
2: I pick a different example. They hate Bezos too.
1: Well well what's interesting about Bezos is he's not full Gates, right? Like Gates is like completely yes, in the board. Gates right?
2: is the one who they. Bezos love. Be- Bezos
1: just got his NASA contract. Like good for him. But I think you know the testosterone. The the I I think there's a version where he's going to break Elon's way because he's like, wait a second, I, I was supposed to be the guy that like the main character yeah. here. And I was supposed to be in my retirement, all this stuff. And I got this he's he's speed running everything here. And so I actually think, which by the way, if you, if you like this dynamic, there's an excellent near term uh, or near, near future science fiction book uh, from Daniel Suarez called Delta V. And it's a space race book about billionaire type uh, personalities that do resemble a kind of like Jeff Bezos in, in Elon. So I'd highly, highly recommend that book. I think it's just the, he doesn't act the way serious people are supposed to be but his outcomes are actually serious and then that's what irks them yeah i I think that's true
2: and it's the voice it's it's weird how much like people really with the, the trump context is like the way he sounded really really deeply bothered people even myself included when he first arose um and i got over that but it was like the disconnect between what i thought a president was supposed to be even though i there was never a president who i didn't think was a clown but they sounded like a president and and it's somehow like trump sounding different really just like i wouldn't say it broke something in me it bothered me in a way that other people then like that thing that happened to me and i got over other people actually were broken by did you watch the cnn thing
1: for him The most recent one I didn't, I didn't watch. I watched, I watched some a of, the couple of the
2: clips. Yeah, okay. I, saw, I saw a couple of highlights. So, so one <laughs> interesting
1: thing, and it's you can never get like left side of the political spectrum people to admit this, but if you watch that and then just go back to 2016 version of yourself, 2016 of your version of yourself would have just found everything about like the way his demeanor as a politician was just so foreign and and versus how familiar, whether you agree with him or not, how familiar does that feel? of him basically being Trump on TV as an entertainer with this anchor the anchor's trying to hit him with a good question and then and then he he knows how to play the whole situation i think people think there's a referee that oh you're not acting the way that serious people are supposed to act so therefore you know points taken away like you lose or whatever and i think that the whether it's trump or elon or what, pick pick your favorite populist effectively is the internet is kind of being like, well, if I have my own distribution, I don't need the media to, to characterize it. And people are going to come up with their own opinions. And I think that's the world we're moving to. And I actually think uh, AOC is she's she's more within the establishment. But she completely groks the direct to consumer have your own media platform better than I think any other politician outside of Trump, and I actually uh, heard recently from uh, an elected member of Congress, you know, at an event, and he he basically was like, "She's incredibly savvy, and like I I you know really think she she knows what she's doing in terms of of playing this game." And and I think that the more people that figure this out is just like the internet is naturally popularizing. Uh, in terms of uh, I don't know if that's the right word but but populism is the winning optimal strategy for the internet and the, the, the faster you get there and and don't have to worry about the the elite establishment point of view the more power
2: you're gonna have yes yeah, is a problem for me because I don't like the elite but I am a, like I believe in the elite like I would like an elite to be in charge I am not a populist I don't understand how you can look at the you can't sort of agree correctly with the statement that most people are dumb and also think that most people, there's like a wisdom to what most people think or want. It's not true. And what I would love to live in is a world where people sort of acknowledge that there are some people who are like a little more together than other people. And maybe you, maybe the way we get to that is different. It's not necessarily like credentials or something. It's like the fruits of your labor. You know, Elon's done a lot. That gives me, for me, that's, he's produced a lot of good in the world. And I look at that and I think, okay, well, that's, I'm leaning in. I want to learn more about this. I don't know. I, I'm not a populist. I, w- I would like to find a innovation within the world of the internet that
0: reduces the amount of populism or something. I don't know. A, f- a few responses. W- one thing in terms of like tone, in terms of what wins on the internet, it's also a sense of humor. Like what doesn't what doesn't win is Kara Swisher's shrill, you know, sort of concern trolling. That's out. That's like 2012, 2013. And it is interesting. Like you remember how. People hated Bush and then with some time passing, they're like more sympathetic towards him um, or even miss him. Um, I wonder if that's like going to happen to Trump, too. I already see like the, the tone is changing. There are some people who would never have quoted him or said he's hilarious now openly saying, wow, he's like a comedic genius. Um, and I, I think part of it is, you know, the, like kind of the Internet has changed. Um, but it's just interesting to to see Yeah, hu- humor wins. And, you know. Um, even I see, like AOC or Taylor and Lorenz, I, I see them trying being more funny um, or being being more engaged, like adjusting their their style um, to like be able to make fun of themselves. It, like sh- shrill is out.
2: You, you, I agree to a certain extent, but then you also see a weird emergence of it on the right. So you see like the woke right, like even the the way that people will talk about the like the, there was like a Miller Lite commercial after the Bud Light commercial, and I'm like, this is there are way better targets than this. Like what, what is going on here? And, and it was specifically like, we need to show them that like you, this is not how we do things in this country and we're going to like cancel them and stuff like that. And I thought, this is, I don't love this. And maybe there's like a balancing where
0: the polls are there. They're, they're like, they're both sides are adjusting a little bit. Shrillness is a way to get power um, or to, you know, or it's a way to exercise your power to cancel people. And when you have no power, there's no use of being shrill. You should be subversive to try to, you know, uh, yeah. And so, um, but what happened is the left was so shrill they overused that technique that it started to lose its power. And now the right is gaining a little bit of power, and so that they're starting to use it in, um, you know, equally bad bad ways. The um, the other thing that's so fascinating is that going back to Elana Gates for a second, you know, the media this is you know disor- decentralized, but it takes the what partly takes the approach of shaming people. You know, it, it shames some billionaires to get them to do things that they agree with. And Gates is someone perhaps who's been shamed or Zuckerberg. I don't know, like people like shame worked to some degree. shame, guilt, whatever you want to call it. It worked. Hold accountable. <laughs> it worked to some degree. Whereas with Elon, it opposite of worked <laughs> it backfired so significantly that he was like relatively neutral. And now he's like a sworn enemy and deplatformed de- them effectively like it's it's just. It's, it's a funny it's funny to reflect on the on the shame strategy by by the you know, of billionaires and how it had such you know opposite effects Elon
1: was not neutral Elon was left like exactly. he, he I mean he worked he on a climate change left. country like a yeah. company like come on like I, I think like yeah I, I think the populism thing though is like it it it's there are waves right and and you know Caesar was a populist Napoleon's a populist like it's just like there are plenty of people of power realize that that is a an optimal strategy when the you know kind of timing is right in terms of like okay this is actually where and i think
2: it's for sure yeah and and
1: and i mean early 20th century there was more popular so so i think the uh where we are in 2020 is that like or you know the 2020s i i think populism is a winning strategy until there's a new meta and i don't and outside of changing the dominant attention platforms populism is going to win
2: the medium that we the the our primary medium of communication needs to change before the populism thing changes is is what i think before yeah. that in a world of of say, like powerful centralized or not centralized but like semi-centralized media outlets elitism made a lot more sense and was maybe even inevitable now you know it's not that i don't even know what the change would have to look like to to kind of put it turn 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 down the populism, but I look at st- stuff like Instagram. I, I'm really worried actually about uh, the populism stuff. And so I'll give you a, co- a more, not a concrete example, but a, a sort of abstract example maybe. I don't know if that's the right phrasing. Basically the keeping up with the Joneses stuff on, on Instagram. I look at Instagram as an app that there's no way to use that app every day and not become a little bit socialist because you're looking at people who have so much and are so dumb and you're struggling so hard. You know, the average person in America can't even afford a house. Like the average kid is like, how am I ever going to have a house? I've got college debt. I've been fucked by the older generations. And you go on that app and you see these like dumb rich girls flying to Dubai and shit. And you're like that, how are they doing this? This is like, the only way is the system has to be unfair. And, um, and that is, it's so dangerous, and it's it's. I don't even know how to counter stuff like that because I look at that and I'm like, man, if I'm feeling that way a little bit, America is just like about to swing. There's like this little bit of a right work rightward push right now. It's going to be a wild leftward swing on things like the economy. Already, what you're seeing when in terms of like an encroaching right, the new right is economically leftist, and
0: that's going to continue. It's the Tucker Carlson, Bernie Sanders, you know. Mm-hmm they're the same yeah, yeah. but then when ai is
1: gonna ai is gonna be a massive productivity boost and, and deflationary on costs and people are gonna play so to housing back.
0: or to
2: edgy
1: I Wait, everything to i think everything i i'm, I'm like 10 10 years i think just like massive impact
0: 10 years our a favorite time.
1: our favorite <laughs> chart where all the things that the government touches is expensive and everything else has got cheaper i think housing gets cheaper i think you're gonna like those you see this elon or you know rocket man bad so for for those who get triggered by elon progress like he did this thing where uh tweeted the the tesla robots and it's like you know boston dynamics has been working on this stuff for 20 plus years and they do those cool videos or whatever but like you know they started working on this robot what two or three years ago and i think they're just gonna keep making progress and everyone's gonna laugh and be like elon thinks he's making robots and then it's gonna be like
0: oh shit like a lot of chaos in the meantime
1: sure but but my sense is 10 years from now like we, I think we've talked about on this podcast. San Francisco has driverless taxis. Like, how is that not a bigger celebration? Oh, that's right, because it's San Francisco and and San Francisco doesn't want to celebrate it because that's technology. But like, oh, but
0: San Francisco did celebrate breakthrough, right? The the mini lamp or whatever. Is it, what? Or was it San Francisco? Or in the- L A,
2: the shade, the shade thing that cost ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it was for shade. It's like what it's a smaller roof it's like a smaller vertical shittier roof is what you invented yeah yeah and then, and, then,
1: and then the best part is they had to go to ecuador and and the uk on taxpayer money uh to, 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 research. to research on shade technology <laughs>
2: shade te- the latest in shade technology yeah
1: exactly for well, them you know the, the forefront the, the forefront of shade technology is a subtweet right but like you know the old school shade technology is for bus stations but but yeah, I, I think like I think that that is the answer to a lot of these problems on uh, the socialism thing is you're just going to get this huge boost from AI and like things are just going to get cheaper. And, you know, people, I don't know, work a little less, they'll do different things. And and so I'm, I'm not too, too worried on that. I think it is was, was interesting, Eric, I, uh, I I read the comments this week on, on last week's episode. Or I guess two weeks ago, because this, you know, come out. And people are saying I had a naive take on social media and depression for for teens. What was your take? Well, my, my thing is uh, I, I basically you tried to <laughs> create a, a frame of this like growing depression in society. I think it's a measurement issue. And I think it's like it's, it's like a fake trend, but it's just created by the media narrative. Whereas there are obviously people who are depressed and like individual versus, you know, micro versus macro is different. But this like whole thing with teens and... Is it different than when we were in school? Sure, like we didn't you know, have cell phones or whatever, but like I still think that the, the core ways teenagers are mean to each other and make them feel bad. Like, yeah, there's more passive version of it now and, and there's cyber bullying and, and some of that stuff. Sure, new, new set of tactics, but the same fundamental human behaviors are there. It's not like the phone changed, like teenagers were nice to each other prior to phones and 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 now phones have made them mean it's just like no it's it's the same set of behaviors it's just you know you can have it happen a little bit more or in a different manner not a little bit more it's constant uh you, I, so, so this is now it's just like okay like what how, how do you measure that effectively and and so i actually don't yeah. believe in the science
2: you just correctly argued that the platforms were so fundamentally different that they were mainstreaming an entirely new kind of not an entirely new, but they were re-mainstreaming populism across the board from both parties. If, if it's powerful enough to do that, like surely it's transformative enough to have some kind of impact on teen mental health. They're living on these phones. Right. But,
1: but so do you, do you think that, um, teens today are fundamentally less happy than they were 20 years ago? I don't know that. I, I mean, so, but I don't but that's, that's where the,
2: the, like the jump happens is like, do I think that I can say that I am. I can say that like if I'm going to be honest, like the phones are not making me happier. I can't stay away from them, but I'm not like a happier person than I was. Maybe I'm just older now. and Maybe all people get like less happy, but I'm I, definitely I, less- I, I think that
1: that's it is we have our, this deep unhappiness because we're getting older, closer to mortality, whatever. Yeah. And so when we, we project our unhappiness on, on teenagers and I'm like, I, I, I want to acknowledge, yes, it is a new technology, new set of problems, new new set of things. But the fundamental behaviors are the same. And I think that, like, if if you were to ask me if you could magically actually get to the point of view of, like, are teenagers more or less happy? Maybe they're a little less, but, like, it's it's not, like, an order of magnitude difference. And so now you're like, oh, teenagers before were 53% happy, and
2: now they're 47% happy. And yet, there are these obviously fundamentally different things about teenagers today. For example, the gender craziness. I mean, a non-trivial fraction of teenagers now don't believe they have a gender. That's very new. <laughs> That's like a brand new problem, and it's not small. I I don't believe those surveys. I I think it's like people. It's it's like people saying that they weren't going to vote for
1: Trump, but they voted for Trump. It's people just telling the survey person like what they think the right answer is. And I think it's like has has uh, a set of different beliefs in society around gender change? Yeah, of course. But like I don't I think it's just like Fox News and Tucker is like really trying to make it this like this is coming for everybody and like you should be afraid.
0: I um I showed you guys a pitch deck this week that I got um of a startup called For Them. It basically says hey, 48% of Gen Z is not straight. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh that's a tie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because it's like I think a lot of that is
2: style. It's just you have a lot of straight girls who are like, I'm bisexual, but they have a boyfriend and that's just like, okay, okay, like let's, let's move along here. Like that's kind of, I think there are a lot of teen girls like that. And there are a lot of people who say they're genderqueer and it's like, what does that mean? Nothing, literally nothing. But then the incidence, the, but the incidence of, of bisexuals has skyrocketed among, or at least like Dan, to Dan's point, the incidence of people who say they're bisexual has skyrocketed among Gen Z. Uh, as has genderqueer, which means nothing. Straightness versus gayness. Gayness specifically, like gay, pure, like male-male gayness, is like about the same uh, in self-reported surveys. It's a little bit higher among Gen Z than previous generations, but that number is pretty consistent. But there does seem to be a change on the other end of this. Oh, and then trans stuff, I just looked at. Actual gender dysphoric, like going to get trans reaffirmment stuff, that's gone up like three or or four times, uh, three or four X what it was 10 years ago. I just did a piece, the the haunted transsexual internet. Um, I had to do a little research for that one.
1: I go back to my personal freedom thing is like, I think people should have personal freedom to do what they want. And if that is part of their gender identity, by all means, I think we should have a set of laws in society that we agree that protect everybody. And, and after that, I think all it is is just media trying to create culture war. It's just like really trying to get people Driven up on it. I, I do
2: believe that I was looking at that in the context of Vice Media just put out a piece um, on Jordan <laughs> Neely. Right. Well, they're not yet. I'm like, can you please die already? I thought you were gone. Why are you still here causing trouble? Go away. Um, but Vice News, they were like, you know, the Jordan Neely thing is just indicative of like the anti-black sentiment that, you know, led to and they brought up that Kyle Rittenhouse like with this strange sort of subtle implication that Kyle killed black people, Kyle shot, he did not shoot any black people. First of all, second of all, it was self-defense. Third, wasn't one of the guys, a pedophile that he shot like with a, with a, so that was a whole other different situation. And then Jordan Neely like this, the language they're using. It's so obviously they're praying for a race war. And I am like why can you not just see what you're doing? Like you like why do you want people to hate each other so much? It's, it, it's really well it's I mean the answer is obvious. It's just advertising revenue, unfortunately. Like why do I ask these questions that I know the answer is? Yeah, to? yeah,
1: yeah. And I mean I mean like also by the way Kyle Rittenhouse found not guilty by a jury. Yes, right? So jury bad there, but when this, like, you know this, Derek know Chauvin having... Derek Chauvin put in jail by jury right? We have a legal process. Jury, good. So yes. jury jury is only good as a system when it is my set of beliefs, not not the actual system we agree on that if there's a jury and the jury comes to an outcome, that that's what we agree as society
2: but This reminds me of, remember when Ellen Powell sued Kleiner Perkins for sexual harassment? Um, so then the jury is like, this didn't happen. <laughs> I'd be like, like, sorry, no, absolutely not. They heard the whole thing. No one was persuaded. Goodbye. And the into- the whole media comes out lockstep and they're like, well, regardless of a verdict, this is such an important moment for <laughs> sexual harassment. And it really proves that she was sexually harassed and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. Right. What and, happened
1: and before- Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, th- that jury found it. So like, you know, and, and there so was some weird, weird evidence that and came I out agree- during that trial, right? Like, really abusive relationship that you were emailing him months later from London saying like, are you going to be, but ultimately the jury found him and he he went to prison. So we do have a system that puts certain people, uh, you know, behind bars. If the case is compelling.
0: Mm -hmm. Ellen Powell's case was dismissed so thoroughly that she had to pay Kleiner's legal bills.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like that it's crazy that that is not remembered. But I do, I mean, at the end of the day, she's not that relevant anymore. I mean, there was a moment when she was really scaring me. She had so much influence. And I was like, man, how is the world not seeing through this? But those days are gone. She Wait, was, that she,
1: was she CEO of Reddit during the Trump Famously. election?
2: Oh, no, 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 She Wait, was gone before
1: that? That would actually be like if, if the alt-right culture actually was under her watch as it was brewing in the
2: subreddits. So, the, and she was not a Reddit. Then she was Kleiner. It was a while. I think Reddit was a while ago.
0: Um, Let's look it up really. quick. Kleiner began in February of 2015. Um, yeah. And uh, when was she CEO of Reddit?
2: It would be before that. So she stepped down in 2015. 2014, she became the interim CEO of Reddit. Wait, and then 2015, she was Kleiner Perkins. Okay. And then 20, was it Me Too era? Then it was 2017 when the when the 2017 trial... is Me Too. I think yeah. That explains
0: why it was so hard yeah. to criticize it because totally. 2017 was just the height of all of that stuff. She did have that famous tweet. Uh, you know, you probably have incels in your company. What are you gonna do about it one, one of the all-time great tweets. That's like, <laughs> I'll never forget it. We should do one episode where we just go through like 15 all-time greats. We should uh, have
1: Zach Cantor come on just to talk about his systemic racism and nuclear tweet, which I think about a lot. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah.
0: Maybe gearing towards towards closing here, um, I wanna stump pirate wires. I uh I was talking to a journalist, and he was asking me which publications I, I respect in tech, and said Power Wires is, is the best. And he said, "Oh, but that, that's conservative media." I was like, "No, you're like, it's tech culture, politics. It's got, it's, it's, it's the, it's the best publication." So sorry, your... if you
2: have a point, but I like it really bothers me.
0: So, yeah, that's I about. just, I feel like
2: I just published something with Grimes that was. The moment it was like, here's what's happening in tech. Here's what people are excited about. Here's the optimism of it. Like it was me talking to like com- sort of bridging two different worlds in a way that was celebratory of really the person who started, w- w- who was Grimes. Like there are intersections there. People there there are references to Sp- the Spotify CEO. Interesting pieces of information that are broken about you know David Holds and things like this. And it's not political at all. It's 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 like so demeaning, actually, of the work to put it in a frame like that. And and I think it's done from a place of that person knows that I'm doing stuff that they can't do. And so they have to find some way to, to pretend like, no, it's not that I can't do it. It's that I would never do it. It's like you would never do an interview with Grimes, like that doesn't. Then you're a fucking idiot if you would never do an interview with Grimes about AI. It's like no, you just can't. You just can't do it as well as I did it. And and um and I feel like I'm being really arrogant right now, and I don't I don't want to be. But no, it's it's a that, good
1: interview. People should go read it. Like this is this you. is what I people should was, be doing on the internet. It,
2: and I felt like it elevated a conversation. And I've done stuff like that often. And there are moments I think maybe when I get a little too. I, I sort of lose my nuance sometimes and, uh, but I really try not to. And I really believe that what I'm interested in is culture, not politics. i write about, like, you know, there are these political things that happen. There are politicians who do stupid things and I can't help but talk about them. And I definitely have obviously political views and, and whatnot, but I don't think that my work is like conservative media. That's just, it's just not, it's just not accurate. It's because you're
1: friends with Elon and Teal. And so, well, therefore, and Teal, right. I mean, have yeah,
2: worked with Teal for a decade.
1: I know, but so as a Rocket Man, bad vampire blood guy who got Trump elected, bad Ulysses S. Grant avatar on Twitter, bad. <laughs> like that's just the, the like that's how you get coded as conservative media.
2: Yeah, th- that that stuff it really irks me, I know he and like the person that you're talking about is it like he's literally competing with me for attention, and in, in a, and so it's he has nothing but an incentive. To malign me he has previously lied about me publicly and it's like maybe i should be complimented the fact that i live in their head at all (laughs) rent free baby
0: yeah Mm. um and also you you were just saying in this podcast how you're uh you know there might not be room for good liberals like like yourself and you have many views you know uh socially liberal views that would make conservatives uh shrivel and you you know you, you challenge their thinking you know plenty of times so um you know, I, I think it's an unfair uh, categorization just because you challenge a certain orthodoxy, uh, that, that, and that's often what they would call conservatives. People challenge a certain orthodoxy at certain times.
2: Yeah, people who do not accept what they're saying is true without question. And it's like, okay, well, questioning authority when I was a kid was considered a left wing thing to do, and probably it's just always clocked as the opposite political orientation of whoever's in charge at a given moment. And it's like, you know, the people who, let's be honest, the left has been in cultural power for many years, and also political power in every city that we live in. So questioning authority is going to inevitably butt you up against the left, the political left, because they have so much authority. And have to invent things that they
1: think they can uh, be questioning the power structure, like, like a fictitious uh, you know superstructure that they're therefore for questioning because it, it, it's certainly not the people in
2: power that they're questioning Mm-mm, no yeah they have to invent bogeyman
0: yeah it's fascinating speaking of uh invent bogeyman for a second then we'll, we'll wrap this interview do you remember like i was preparing i interviewed ezra klein recently and i was listening to an interview with him in 2017 and he was talking about all this islamophobia i don't hear at all about islamophobia like that's you know, weird yeah it's falling yeah, it off totally went off the, like like and I imagine that was a thing around like nine eleven or something. And that had like a 15 year run of like- well, it came back because of ISIS. Remember? Yeah, yeah, so like
2: 911, yeah. sure, but ISIS is when you started hearing a lot about it again because they were you had you had all these images of like hardcore Islamic fundamentalists lighting people on fire and shit. And it was like, whoa, this is a terrifying hell religion. And so the reaction at home on the left really is to defend those things. And now that those things don't exist, there's nothing to defend. And we're back to sort of like not thinking much about Islam because it's a fraction of our population. I think it's one or 2% maybe of our population, maybe 2% of our population. Well, that is- hasn't
0: stopped, uh, you know, people from caring about, uh, you know, trans is what, you know, even less, right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a little bit higher than we were realizing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, uh, we'll wrap on this Norm MacDonald tweet. Uh, he said, what terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill 50 million Americans, Imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, He's great. Uh, Pyrowire is the best publication in uh, tech and culture. Mike, thanks so much for for joining. Uh, Thank you for having me. uh, Read the Grimes interview, everybody. Good to see you, Solana. Thanks. Good seeing you guys. Secureframe is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. Secureframe helps you get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months. And it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much I invested in it and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get 20% off your first year of SecureFrame. Hey, it's Eric. There's no shortage of tech and business podcasts, but few actually give you a true and regular dose of the future. The A16Z podcast is the exception. It's a lighthouse for founders, breaking down the most important trends in technology and business. Struggling to keep up with the pace of change in AI? They just spoke to top builders from OpenAI, Anthropic, Roblox, and more, wondering what on earth is happening up in space. They just dropped a series on the satellite economy or questioning whether recent salary transparency legislation will cause clarity or chaos. They just broke down how companies can not only survive, but thrive in this new environment. Host Steph Smith sits down with some of the world's most influential people, movers who have a track record of being both early and right, like Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Nobel Prize-winning astrophysicist John Mather, and A16Z co-founders Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. So go ahead, eavesdrop on the future by following the A16Z podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell them I sent you.